Story Friends. I am your host, Harris III. I'm thrilled that you're joining us for part two of our roundtable discussions on the revolutionary storytelling type with John Booker and Jason Jaggard. If you haven't already listened to part one of this roundtable, I would encourage you to go back and give it a listen. It sets up the second half of our discussion. I don't want you to be lost in any way. Go back and check that out. Also, if you find yourself wondering, what do you mean storytelling type? The five storytelling types, what are they? Where do they come from? Head over to storygatherings.com where we have a very quick assessment you can take to find out which of the five types you are. You really have uh, a little bit of each of these five types in you if you're a storyteller, but you certainly have a dominant type that serves as your core motivation, your draw to leverage the power of story. Uh, most of you know that we've capped this storytelling type series with this type, the revolutionary. Um, and look, the pages of history, they are filled with stories of revolutionaries from visionary leaders who stood up against injustices to those who challenged systems and ideals, disruptors of the status quo, so many others working to really create change and impact. It's really what they're driven by. There's so many stories that easily come to mind. The world has been shaped by revolutionaries, but it really takes all of us as a team to tell stories in different ways for a revolutionary to truly succeed at shifting narratives. A powerful group of individuals that are on the cusp of almost all change uh, are these people, these revolutionaries. They're just, they're just constantly rewriting, shifting narratives for millions through their work every single year. And this work changes everyone it touches for generations to come. So to be honest with you, this is the reason that many of you tell stories. Uh, when we look at the stats of the different storytelling types within the storytelling community, you guys are the primary type. It is the most dominant type of the five types. That's because this community, the story community, you desire change, disruption, something better. It's why I tell stories and encourage others to do the same. One thing that John said on this roundtable that stuck out to me was this. I refuse to live in a world where this does not exist and I will move heaven and earth until it exists. He said that in reference to uh, just some really abstract sort of niche-focused books. It was a really cool part of the conversation. Um, the passion of the revolutionary is so obvious in that statement, isn't it? And if that resonates with you, then you're going to love uh, this convo. You ready? All right, let's jump in. I wonder, Jason, in your your work, I know you come across people all the time who are, are risk takers, and they're willing to um, they're willing to invest in, in in making big changes and to disrupt their own lives in order to embrace you know the changes that they see uh, possible. What do you think is is the biggest thing that stands in people's way from? being willing to to massage that story and change that story and bring revolution in their own journey? What stands in their way? Uh, well, for, first of all, I want to affirm the idea of, of um, with the, when it comes to the revolutionary and, and inventing a new story is a revolutionary act. You know, so like, how do you be disruptive without being destructive? How do you be expansive without being explosive? Uh, and, you know, I think those are, are healthy things to, to, to journey into. In terms of in terms of that question, there are in our work there are we call it the meta performance loop, and there's two for our purposes. There's two sides to that loop. One is um, kind of the meta side, which we look at as like being imaginative and uh, exploring, you know, and going 
like to, to quote Shel Silverstein, you know, pass where the sidewalk ends. Uh, there's that conversation. And then on the other side, there's the performance side. So meta performance on the other side, there's the performance side and the performance side is like execution, discipline, you know, grit, hard work, making that phone call, waving that brush, taking that picture, you know, that kind of thing. And I would say um, that depending on the client, they're going to have a preference of which one is the least natural for them. So some, some leaders and revolutionaries, uh, they really, they're strategists. Like they really got the execution down. They're like the jump first, ask questions later, kind of a thing, ready, fire, aim kind of people. And then, then there's other people who, and, and by the way, those people tend to suffer from, I'll say suffer from a lack of imagination. I meet so many people who are uh, literally shaping the future of the world and they are still kind of, they don't realize that they're still kind of running on old stories. And, and so like it is a, what, what they need is for someone to hold a space for them. That's kind of like popular coaching jargon that's getting out there now too, but holding space for somebody to dream and to vision cast for themselves and to like Harris's book, The Wonder Switch, to wonder and to, to really give themselves permission to, you know, was it George Bernard Shaw who says, some people dream of the world as it is and say, why? I dream of things that never were and say, why not? There's a lot of people really struggle with that. Then, of course, there's a flip side. A lot of our clients who are shaping the world, they're dreamers. They they just are in clouds in the sky and they're having a conversation with them is like difficult. because <laughs> like to them, what they're saying totally makes sense. Um, but you're like, I don't I don't know how we we were talking about sports and all of a sudden we're talking about flavors of ice cream. I don't know how we I don't know how we got there. And their their greatest uh, weakness really is putting their feet on the ground and, uh, and either partnering or learning how to execute, learning how to act, learning how fleshing the story that exists in their imaginations into the contours of their choices and their behavior. And so generally it's a long way of saying, in my experience, clients are going to have one or two challenges, either a, they're going to struggle with uh, giving themselves permission to dream of things so there's another way of saying maybe struggling with a little bit of cynicism or that's just the way that it is, or I know how the world works. And then, or they're struggling with the courage to uh, step into the world and actually try something new, execute on what they believe, execute on what's getting excited. And just to do a quick assessment, just for the folks who are here who have their, their videos on, if you don't mind, uh, quick show of hands. How many of you would say you're like, and you don't have to resonate with either of those because people are more complicated than that, but raise your quick show of hands. How many of you would say that you resonate more with the people, hey, you have no problem dreaming. You love to dream. You love to do the thing. It's the execution that's that's tough. Folks there, yeah, no problem. And then how many of you are the flip side where it's like uh, you are action-oriented. You love to get things done. You love to work hard. You love to do the thing. But like it's, it's sometimes you forget why you're doing it and need to like broaden the aperture a little bit and learn how to dream a little bit. Yeah. So those tend to be the, the two sides of that. And, and, and being a revolutionary of your own life, I think it's kind of what we're talking about right now, being a revolutionary of your own life is going to include both of those disciplines. And you either need, A, need to develop uh, the pattern of that, or B, you need a team for that. Uh, and we can talk more about that later if that sounds interesting in terms of how people start to do that. But John, that's my first take on that. Oh, Jason, could you just, you know, come and, and just talk to me every day and, and just speak into my life? That that well, is, I love the way that you're able to take these big ideas and start to put them into usable chunks that I can start applying in my life immediately. And that is something I needed to hear today 
thank you, Jason Jaggard. That was amazing. Well, th- th- thank you. And I would like, uh, so this is going to be a little bit of a love fest. So, you know, we, John and I can get a room later. It's going to be fine. But, <laughs> uh, John, I, w- I would love for you to talk about more what we, we were talking about before we hopped on in terms of what does story coaching look like? You know, I mean, often our, our coaches work with a lot of entrepreneurs and a lot of teams. And I imagine, frankly, I think probably you do too. Uh, but you, I like the way that you've branded that. And I'd love to hear you talk a little bit more about what that looks like. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I, I'm very honored to get to do, um, story coaching for a wide variety of different creators. And that that's pretty much the the people that I work with or are creators. And I I'm working, um, with one particular client right now who is a revolutionary by nature. Um, she is the the daughter of a very well-known person, a very well-known person, and she has access to unimaginable resources, but she doesn't know what the story she's living into right now is. And we start actually just by talking through different metaphors you know, Joseph Campbell once said that some things are so important, they can only be expressed through metaphor. Sometimes we just don't have the precise language to really get into what something means, but we can sort of talk around it and it rises up in our bodies. We we just know. And so oftentimes story coaching, especially for revolutionaries, is, is a practice of, of, of positioning ourselves in an unseen orbit where we are, are living into the type of story that we want to see in the world. I, I'll give you a, a short example. Um, I have a small publishing house here in Los Angeles. We, we publish one or two books a year. Like it is super small. It's literally like me and a few people I contract out. I have this amazing ability to publish books that only about 10 people in the world care anything about reading. And let me tell you what, I will never stop doing it because I do not want to live in a world where that particular book does not exist. And in doing that, in in, in bringing that book out into the world, I am affecting the story of the world because now that book exists and I live in a world where that book exists, right? I mean, I I published a a book a few years ago on theology and the work of Quentin Tarantino. Again, this is a cross-section of like about 10 people in the world that are really interested in the intersection of, of this work. Um, you know, I, I did another book on theology and the legend of Zelda. Again, there's like, there's a lot of people interested in the legend of Zelda, a lot of people interested in theology, but there is is very little cross-section of yeah. these audiences. But I do not want to live in a world where those books don't exist. 
Yeah. And so I, I insist on, on, on bringing those into the world and that in many ways, I think is what the revolutionary does. They say, I refuse to live in a world where this does not exist. So I will move heaven and earth to force it into existence. Yeah, I love that. I that I think part of the reason, Harris, you're this way. I think, John, you're very much this way. I, I don't know if people can. Being a revolutionary is somewhat like being a hipster. Like if you say that you are one, you're not. Uh, you know, but I think also like the, I think everyone has this desire to, and there is a little bit of a there's a like I don't care if anybody else thinks this needs to exist. I think this needs to exist. And there's also um, I feel like revolution, the best gift you could ever tell, the best gift you could ever give a revolutionary is telling them that, that it can't be done. Yes. You know, like, please, if only somebody could tell me, if no one's telling me that it can't be done, I get bored. I get like, I don't know what to do with myself. But as soon as someone's, as soon as someone's like, that can't work for this reason, or you could never do that for this reason. I'm like, thank you. Thank yeah. you. Now you've given me the fuel I need. And I don't know if it's like a, like a, I need to prove people wrong kind of a thing, or it's just, I, I just love being the person who publishes the book that no one says need to be written. And then John, you never know, like that book's going to get found somewhere and it's going to become the thing. Uh, one other thought, John, that I really liked that you said was around metaphor. And this is, I didn't make this up. I got this, one of our coaches, his name is Damore Barnes. And uh, some of you may know him. He was on Supernatural. He was on Law and Order. Uh, really, really talented actor. And um, he's been, a, he was actually the first person who ever coached me ever. So like 20 years ago, he gave me one coaching session in a Panera bread company in South Pasadena. Uh, and it changed my life. And, uh, and then now this year he joined the firm and he, and both he and I had forgotten that that happened. I was like, Hey, I don't know if you remember this, but you're the first person who ever coached me ever. And so it was this, this really powerful moment, but he does this, he does this, I'm going to, he calls it something else. I'm going to, for the purpose of, the, of this conversation, I think this would be valuable for people listening. It, I, I call it metaphor swapping. And so, and it's interesting because I think what's fun and John, again, I think you know more about this than I do, but what's really fun for everyone is, um, is trying on stories the way you try on clothes, like going like story shopping, you know, oftentimes with our clients, our coaches will say, Hey, we're going to go window shopping for your future. You can do the same thing with story. And the nice thing about that is you can try on a story that you may not initially think you'd be that attracted to or compelled by, and then try it on. And maybe it doesn't fit. Or it's like putting on shoes. Like it maybe it gives you blisters and like, Oh, I don't like these the stories too small or, you know, whatever and you can take it off and then you can kind of swap stories. And what's really interesting. So what the did with me, I'll never forget this. And you can try this at home if you want. What he did with me was he had me sit like here. Well, let's see if I can do this. He had me sit here and he's sitting across from me. And he's like, and he, I don't, if you know more, he's got this very deep, booming, smooth, calm voice. And he's, I'm not going to impersonate it, but he's like, uh, he was like, tell me, tell me your situation from this seat. And so I did, I told him what I was trying to wrestle through. And it was a vocational decision about whether I should stay where I was, or should I make a career change? He said, great. Okay. Once I got the story out, then he goes, okay, now I want you to stand up and I want you to look at the chair that you were just sitting in. And I want you to, des to describe what you heard as if you weren't you watching you tell the story from up here. So then I told that story again. And then I, and after I got through that, he said, okay, now I want you to go over here. And now I want you to pretend that like you're your mom and tell the story from your mom's perspective. And then, and then go over here. And I want you to stand and look at yourself and be like your worst enemy and tell that story. And now go over here. And I want you to be the person who like 
believes in you the most. And then he goes, and I'll be over here and I want you to pretend that you're God. And that's kind of crazy, but like, and then like talk to you, listening to yourself, tell the story. And it was just this really interesting. And two things happened when I did that exercise. One was it helped me get off of the kind of myopic lens of whatever story I was telling myself that I thought was right. Like the metaphor that I was living in. And it helped me try on other metaphors, like they were pieces of clothing. So it, it, it kind of uh, tilled the soil of uh, how how concretized my perspective was being in that moment. The other thing that it did was it allowed me to find a more compelling perspective. I was like, hey, if my preference would be to live from that angle, not from the angle that I was sitting in. And it actually helped me make the decision that changed the, the rest of my life. And that's something that anybody can do. You can look, I know you, it feels stupid, but you can actually like sit in a chair. You can pick like a person who hates you, person who loves you, maybe like the ideal or divine perspective or whatever it is. And you can like literally move seats around. And here's what's funny. I have never used that with a client. I've been coaching for almost a decade. I've never, Demore did that for me. I've never done it for anybody else, but I think about it all the time. Uh, and I think it's one of the most powerful examples of, and this is maybe the period here, when we're talking, sometimes I think when we're talking about changing beliefs or changing stories, we're thinking about the, the space between our ears, but there's actually things kinesthetically that you can do because the story you tell isn't just what you do with your lips and it's not just what you do with your gray matter. You're telling a story with the way you dress. You're telling a story with your posture. You're telling a story with, uh, with, with, with how you move everything that you're doing with how you design your space. You know, like John's telling a story, not just for us as, as uh, spectators, but John, every time John walks into that inner sanctum of pop culture, mythological awesomeness, like that's creating a space for him. And you can tell from the way he speaks, he speaks like he's giving oracles, you know, like he's like a Delphi, like just giving us like that, that because he's created this space for him and he's created this interior world where he can dispense wisdom that way. And any person, I think John would agree, any person can develop that or some other thing but it requires not only changing the way you think, but changing your choices, changing the way you move, changing the way you dress, changing the environment you're in. It's playing with all those different spaces. And maybe if we have time, I can even talk about some rituals that people can do in terms of story crafting. And it's again, all internal story crafting in terms of how to create something new for your life to live into. Jason, what you said there, I, I can't stress how important it is because this, this idea that how you dress, how, how you, to me, the, the secret of um, really changing the story that we're living into, and, and this is something that I think, you know, revolutionaries really resonate with, is it all begins with what you see every day. All change, all change in stories begins with what you see every day. Yeah. And I, I want to give you a, an example. I, one of the things I'm really excited to talk about in um, in my breakout at Story this year um, is, is I'm talking about different um, different times in uh, history that stories completely changed the culture. And, and we, we know that that's true. Right. But. I've become just obsessed with digging out these dozens and dozens of stories about uh, stories that that actually changed a culture completely because someone had the the boldness and the bravery to to craft and tell these stories these revolutionaries that stepped into the gap and said this is a story that must be told they told it and the culture changed so let me give you one example if that's okay 
Jacob Rees was this creator in the early part of the last century. And Jacob Rees, R-I-I-S, if you, for those of you taking notes, um, Jacob Rees was a a frustrated artist because he would he he wasn't quite sure what medium he should be working in. He was someone that loved to take photos, but he also loved to write. He loved to do sketches. He loved to spend time doing research and getting statistics. Um, he had all this possibility, right? He had all of these tools at his disposal. And he said, oh, what in the world can I do in order to to create a great piece of art? And he was living in New York City and he would walk around looking for inspiration and in, in ways to use these tools. And one day it struck him as he was walking the streets of New York City, how many people were living in these tenement homes and the quality of life that people were living in. He was walking around looking for some great piece of inspiration. And it was what he saw every day that began to work with him. Well, he decided to take all these photos he was taking of these tenement houses, all these sketches and illustrations, all these statistics, all this stuff. And he decided to put it together in a book. And this book uh, came out and it was called How the Other Half Lives. And he said, well, I've done it. I've got my my work out into the world. I've told this story. But what he didn't know is people started reading the book around the, the, the country that had influence. One of the people who end up reading this book, How the Other Half Lives, is a guy named Theodore Roosevelt, who happens to be the president of the United States. Theodore Roosevelt reads Jacob Rius's book, and he connects with him and they begin to work together to pass all these laws and regulations, including reenacting the civil service law and creating the New York Tenement Housing Act that, that guaranteed that there would be a minimum room size that human beings had to be given to live in. It, it required that all bedrooms had to have windows so that people could see the outdoors. And it was all because this guy, Jacob Reese, he knew he had a story to tell. He knew that he had all these tools, but he started with what he saw every single day. And he told a story about that. It ended up changing the world. Hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people's lives were impacted because of this story that this revolutionary told. And it completely changed people's lives. There are story after story after story of people who have been able to tell their story, tell a story, and change the world. But it always begins with what you see every day. Like Jason was just saying, your clothes you put on every day, the rooms in your house you see every day, that, that kid across the street that's always playing soccer that you see every day. It starts with all of those things we encounter that we can so easily take for granted, but we can't do it. We can't take them for granted. Yeah. <clears throat> I think part of what you're, you're referring to are these little um, sparks, I guess, of possibility. They're like reminders that this story that we want to create and see come to fruition in the world is actually possible. 
Um, it's interesting because Jason just a few moments ago was actually, he was, he was talking about the challenge that a lot of revolutionaries feel when someone's like, it can't be done. It's just like, boy, I'm going to show you. Right. And yet in my experience, I interact with a lot of people where it's actually not the challenge that gets in the way and motivates them. It's the sheer lack of belief and the possibility that could fuel the steps necessary to begin telling the stories that spark change. Um, I'd love to hear both of your thoughts on that um, as a way of sort of taking this from the uh, philosophical, how approach, how we do this in our lives to just the practical, like how do we give those of us who are here on this, on this call? Um, is it as simple as like, Hey, change what you see every single day? Um, how do we reinforce the possibility that drives um, the necessary changes that we have to make in our thinking and behavior in the stories that we tell ourselves in order to tell stories that change the world around us? Yeah. John, you want to go first, man? I can, I can follow up. Absolutely. Sure. Jason, I, I think, you know, when we look at the, the, the practical, um, one of the things that that always comes up for me when I talk to people about how they even begin any sort of process when it comes to to telling a story or making change in in the the world or, or their life is that we oftentimes try to make external changes to deal with internal problems. And we have to recognize that while the external is connected to the internal, and it's so important sometimes that we see external changes uh, be made, it's it's never going to be enough. Can I tell you guys a super embarrassing story real quick? I went through this period in high school about four weeks where I was a fedora guy. And I thought by wearing this really cool fedora every day for four weeks, it would completely change the John Booker story. Since that time in high school, I've met a lot of other fedora guys that are convinced that that's going to be the real secret. Here's the thing, friends. I have a head shaped like a raisin and it did no favors to put a fedora on my raisin head. I looked like a complete idiot. Now, a lot of people can pull a fedora off and, um, but I thought by making that external change, it was going to completely recraft and, and, and re rewrite my story. It failed so miserably. So the first thing I believe is taking an honest assessment of what is going to truly lead to a change in your narrative and not getting distracted by the things you can go buy for $9.99 and, and, and suddenly, you know, recraft your story completely because you, you bought a new hat or something. It's it's the low-hanging fruit that we get so distracted by. So take it from me, a former fedora guy, and do not try to change your story by making poor fashion choices. Look to the inside because change really starts from the inside and works its way out. Okay, who else heard Jason say, 
The best gift you can give a revolutionary is to tell them it can't be done. That resonate with you like it did for me? <laughs> look, when I look back on my own life and I think about uh, all the projects I've pursued, the things I've created, um, the disruption I've lit the match on, so many times I had people around me telling me that I was crazy or that what I was pursuing was too ambiguous or even impossible. And so if you've heard something similar, also hear this, keep pursuing anyway. So whether you're like me and you take that challenge and use it as fuel, or if you are the type of person that hears that and get discouraged, keep pursuing anyway. Your ideas are needed. Your story matters. The change that you seek to make in the world is more possible than you are currently imagining. Your relentless pursuit of it all is what impacts future generations. I hope this episode has been an encouragement to you. I hope that this conversation about revolutionaries has struck a chord with you regardless of your type. I hope that if you've lost a little bit of hope, left unsure of what's next, that your passion will be reignited because your best, your best most creative work is right in front of you and the world needs your stories. And that's why in just a few short weeks, we're going to be coming together in Nashville for our flagship event, Story. Story 2022 is now officially only weeks away. We're under the one month mark. And it's where your fellow revolutionaries, amplifiers, artisans, connectors, and investigators will be gathering. And if you've taken the time to listen to any or uh, all of season six of the Story Podcast, you're going to be armed with so much more perspective to connect and collaborate with your peers and community. We've strategically created the storytelling type breakout options for you, and those will be incredible for you to continue learning. So whether you're looking for inspiration from speakers delivering keynotes on the main stage, or you're looking for more practical, tactile instruction from workshop-style breakout experiences, Story is for you. You can join us online as well if you can't make it to Nashville. Uh, either way, be there. Find a way to get there. The dates for Story, it's all happening on September 22nd and 23rd. And I'm actually really excited about this. We just announced a special evening pre-party called a celebration. It sounds a little funny to say that into a microphone, uh, but it's a celebration. Um, it's dreamt up and in partnership with our good friend, Brad Montague. The tickets are almost sold out for every aspect of the in-person event. So you've got to go join us and grab your ticket now. If you don't have tickets and you want to join us, you can get those at story2022.com, story2022.com. Look, I know I say this a lot if you're a regular listener here, but I really do mean it to say that. And I just feel really humbled to serve this incredible community. Um, the revolutionary type is my dominant type. It's why I'm drawn to leverage the power of story. And you guys are the fuel. You're the fuel for my revolutionary type. It's why I'm driven to empower you, to encourage you, uh, to equip you. We do all this stuff. You'll notice there are no ads ever on this podcast outside of just promoting the the speakers that we believe in and their projects. They don't pay us to do that. Uh, yeah, we encourage you to come to the conference. Even the conference itself is not a revenue generator for us. That's a break-even event. It's a passion project. It's a labor of love. Um, the reason we do all this, it is quite literally just to empower you storytellers to equip you storytellers because you're having a lasting impact in the world around you you are the architects of culture and as steve Jobs said you're the most powerful people in the world so go tell stories just make sure you tell stories that matter tell them in a way that matters if you need help with that that's why this community is here please consider joining us 
online or in person, story2022.com. All right, I'm Harris III. I look forward to connecting with you more on social media or at one of our events. Uh, We have just a few more episodes in the pipeline for this season. Those are most likely coming to you post-Story Conference. And so we're probably walking into another uh, break here for a couple weeks. We'll be back with you after the conference is over with for a few short episodes to wrap up this podcast season. Uh, At any time you want to connect, please never hesitate. My personal email address, Harris, H-A-R-R-I-S, at Astoria.com. That's I-S-T-O-R-I-A.com. Harris at Astoria.com. Thanks for subscribing to the Story Podcast. Thanks for listening to this podcast. If you haven't already given us a rave review, I would so appreciate you doing that. It's a little way to say thanks to the whole team that makes these podcasts possible. All right. Keep telling stories that matter. The Story Podcast is a production of the Astoria Collective. It is hosted and curated by Harris III and produced, edited, and mixed by Chad Michael Snavely and the team at Sound On Studios. All music is provided by the talented musicians at Soundstripe. For more information about this podcast and other creative offerings from Story, visit storygatherings.com.